record closing highs so far for the day. Blasting through a ceiling. In a record-setting IPO. Investors who have been riding the wave. When the stock market is booming, we're made to believe the economy is booming. As the stock market goes, so goes the wealth and the health and economy. So what exactly is the stock market measuring? Good evening, good evening, good evening. Once again, 98.4 Capital FM. Welcome to another episode, a fantastic episode of the Financial Forecast, where you can access timely and accurate global market outlooks on demand alongside Ken Gishinga, Chief Economist, Mentor Economics, and myself, Danny Muni. Today, Mima Pambano, Sisi Oili too. To listen to us online, www.radio.capitalfm.co.ke forward slash listen live or download the iCapitalFM radio app on your phone from any iTunes or I, um, Google Play Store and you can receive us live from there. Be the first to know what's happening on the global markets every Monday morning bright and early by visiting www.mentoria.co.ke to subscribe. You can reach us for feedback, questions, on WhatsApp 0701984984, or you can tweet us at Capital FM Kenya hashtag Financial Forecast. Welcome, Ken. Thank you very much, Danny. Indeed, this is always an opportunity to go deeper beyond the headlines, to ask some of the questions that people think about but they don't say. And I think uh, having this opportunity is always a great pleasure. It's an exciting time, to be very honest. I think there's a lot happening here in Kenya and around the world, which we will try as much as we can to cover most of. And just very quickly jumping into what's, what's, what's crucial for us. The equities market and how they are performing, an amazing positive outlook is witnessed all over the S&P 500, the Nasdaq, the Nikkei, the Dow Jones and the FTSE 100. What's, what's impressing anyone? I mean, even the Bitcoin, has had a significant gain now to over $26,000. There's a lot of champagne being popped. What's happening? Very bullish sentiments across the global markets, uh, not least because of that feeling that the Fed tomorrow, the Fed meets tomorrow, and there is that feeling that they might not raise interest rates. Remember, the Fed has raised interest rates for the last 11 meetings, and for the first time, um, equity markets are convinced that uh, they might take a pause uh, and that pause, because interest rates have been the highest they have been in 16 years. So that pause could be sort of like a new horizon for markets. And I think uh, stocks have taken that very well, as you've said. S&P up uh, 0.3%, uh, the Dow up 0.1%. And also some of the tech stocks doing very, very well. You know, Microsoft doing very well. Um, Apple with that whole new innovation that's coming up. Vision Pro. Vision Pro. It's going to completely revolutionize how... Uh, we interact with data. So it's exciting times um, in US, in Europe too, you know, that positivity has crept into the European markets because, you know, countries such as Germany had already gone into recession. So the idea that finally interest rates might stop going up and people can actually now start uh, getting used to where they used to be, I think it's a positive, positive note. When you go to Asia, uh, we saw China actually slashing uh, its key lending rate and that made the that made the Shanghai composite um go up 0.2%, Japan again 0.1%. So very very positive sentiments are uh, globally. Is this trickling in because when we cross over to the continent is there a sense of this positivity champagne being popped all over 
within the big economies, stock markets in the continent. It's interesting. Uh, the drivers in the continent appears to be different. Uh, the sentiments are the same, bullish, but the drivers are quite different. If you go to uh, Nigeria, the Lego Stock Exchange, the stock market is doing very well, but it's, it has nothing to do with the Fed and everything to do with uh, the suspension of the central bank governor um, who was suspended, uh, one of the first actions of the new president, President Bola. You know, and he said during his inauguration speech, President Bola said he wants to clean up monetary policy without really getting into detail. So the suspension of uh, the CBK, the, I mean the governor in Nigeria, not, not the CBK, <laughs> but the governor in Nigeria really made uh, the banking stocks go up and, and, and stuff. So it's been very positive. In South Africa, again... There's also, sorry, uh, there's also the devaluation of the Naira. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, one of the big challenges the Nigerian currency has had is we've had black markets. We've had multiple exchange rates. And there's a feeling that if Nigeria, a market system is, a, is going to take off in Nigeria, you need to have a common exchange rate across the country. So uh, the president seems to be very, uh, very, very keen on reforming the economy. Remember, you removed the fuel subsidies that had somewhat of an of an impact. But net off, it's made the it's 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 made the um, the, the the stock exchange are very bullish in South Africa. It's more of the mining that's sort of like uh, coming up, mining um, the rebound in the mining sector that's really lifting up um, the economy. But however, in Kenya, we are still seeing the dollar shortage still playing on, and you know, as in. We've said many times on this show, almost 70% of our stock market uh, participants are foreign. So many times they want to repatriate that money and they're looking for dollars. And I think that is the reason the ultra index is a 19% down. It's almost the steepest uh, amongst the 100 global indices. So uh, the drivers are different on the continent, uh, but I'd say globally, Obviously, tomorrow will be a big, big um, turning point in where global markets go. All based on how the U.S. Fed reacts to everything around the U.S. economy. Could there be any possibility, any chance that the announcement by the billionaire Dangote to put up seven large oil refineries in Nigeria have played a part in how their markets are behaving or seem to be shaping up? Wow, that could definitely have a big impact. You know, the challenge Nigeria and Nigerians have been asking is we are a big oil producer, but we export and we have to re-import our oil. And that idea of building refineries, and not only that, does that create jobs, uh, but it also reduces exposure that Nigeria has to global markets. So if they can actually implement that, because... Many times you hear countries saying that. Then of, even here in Kenya, there's always a talk of we can have our own refinery in Lokicha. But again, that so if they can implement that, I think it can really take care of the energy um, sector. Looking at the commodities, metal, there's there's been a, a stellar performance from gold, silver, copper, steel, apart from iron ore, which has actually dropped. But the rest seem to really just be gaining and gaining and doing really well. And we did expect it. Anytime uh, the outlook on interest rates is low, um, there, is that seg- there is that sentiment that markets will be performing. There will be demand in the market because anytime you raise interest rates, you kill demand. So anytime, uh, if there is a pause, definitely expect to see all the commodities, not just the, 
the metallic commodities but the agricultural commodities the general direction will definitely be upwards um as we cross into the week so the expectation is a pause what if uh, is there any chance they could do a reduction highly unlikely this year possibly next year but there's always that possibility that they could raise interest rates remember this is not a done deal definitely inflation numbers come out today we are forecasting this to be at 4.1% so definitely better than the 4.9 uh, that was at the previous month but it's still twice their target you know the target in the US is about 2% so there's still a small segment that uh, believes um they could be that interest rate hike and we saw Australia last week raised interest rates Canada so i mean th- what those took and that's why last week there was so much volatility because you know those two central banks you know Australia and Canada really you know they put the cat among the pigeons and they really disrupted our global markets but these there seems especially with two fed officials who actually said it that i think they want to collect enough data to see if the past rate hikes are doing the work as it is and they need not so markets i mean it's not a consensus but definitely the, the bullish sentiments you're seeing in the stock markets i think that's what's being driven by it therefore the options here are either to hold or to raise correct not lowering hardly i mean highly unlikely i mean when, it's still too early to be able to yeah, decide let's lower the, the 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 rates yeah and when inflation is still double your target when you're at 4% and your target is 2% it's highly unlikely because if they do that they fear inflation now will start creeping back to 5 6 7 and that's the last thing they would want they would want so it's highly unlikely i think maybe earliest would be next year to even talk about um rate cuts looking at the agricultural commodities which definitely is up sugar up canola up coffee up tea <laughs> they they all seem to be excitable at this very moment and maybe i don't know it's whether it's the anticipation of what is going to happen tomorrow or what do you think would be informing the the increase in some of these commodities in the agricultural sector uh, for the past one week corn has been the big story um the dry conditions in the us are uh, definitely will impact on the the harvest and definitely that is playing out so when the supply side is constrained definitely we'll see prices um going up and that sort of has a ripple effect on not just wheat and the other grains but it's also playing out on live cattle it's also playing you know we'll, we've never talked about live cattle as a commodity but we have actually have a livestock commodity and beef prices are up and 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 you know as we approach you know summer in the united states this is a time for lots of people getting together lots of barbecues you know july 4th is around the corner so it's natural to find a lot of these food commodities um the demand because of all the social festivities associated with the summer really picking up so i think it's a good time for farmers i uh, think this is the time they really cash in uh, would you th- would you say the bushfires that are ravaging many parts of the west con- contributing to some of these agricultural prices going up i'm not sure if those bushfires have overlapped with uh, the farmlands i've not checked that statistic uh but um if they have obviously the dry conditions that i've talked about are definitely lead to uh, the fires that you talk about but i'm not sure if uh, they actually farmlands that sort of have been overlapping with those fires i'm not sure but often obviously the the climatic conditions in the summer the dry situation um so you have two things the dry weather conditions um curtail the uh, supply side 
then you have the huge social gatherings that which, are happening which raises the demand so you're having lower supply and higher demand, higher demand. and definitely that means prices that go up the farm i am i think if you look at uh, beef in the global markets i think right now i was reading it was almost like at uh, and, and to get I, I think I, I didn't, beef I didn't is an it. interesting one because uh, yeah. at some point I want us to come to it just within this session mm-hmm. there was an oil production cut announced over a million barrels a day by Saudi and clearly we saw it hasn't stopped crude going below $70 a barrel even with slight gains happening is there the possibility again informed by what's being anticipated for, for tomorrow for the price to continue going down or or improving what the saudis have always tried to do is to provide stability to those energy markets by um cutting those production side uh, but definitely the demand story if tomorrow proceeds as we have stated we should definitely see those prices going back up because there will be an outlook that yes maybe the global economy is sort of starting to pick up now coming here five days ago Dr. Patrick Kunjoroge was quite cautionary on the ambitious domestic borrowing plan of over 500 billion. And you know so much that to the extent he pushed for a tamed appetite in the domestic borrowing by treasury from the National Assembly. Counterintuitive because then it's also the con- the National Assembly that is pushing the treasury to look at the option of domestic borrowing. But then what are the possible net outcomes of this of this of this statement by Dr. Njoroge? I think it was a timely message uh, given that everybody in Kenya knows that what debt how much debt is really weighing down on the economy. And you have two types of debt, you have external debt and you have domestic debt. I think what the good professor uh, was saying is there's a capacity to which the domestic market um, can expect to pick up that debt. And we need to reduce that because you can end up um, not only crowding out the private sector, but also weighing the government heavily uh, with debt. So I think it was a timely message. I wish it had come earlier in his tenure. Just before leaving. <laughs> Just before leaving. <laughs> I wish that was actually the opening statement of his tenure, not the closing statement. Because obviously, you know, debt sustainability, it never used to be a big topic, but it's almost the topic that you can't run away from every week obviously domestic debt is better than external debt because you don't have the exchange rate risk but still you end up crowding out the private sector so money that should have gone to business a and business b ends up going into government so i think it was a good place to for him to um to 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 to, to take the conversation uh, and uh, you know when you look at the finance bill itself I was expecting at the very least they would put a cap on the spending but you're saying the budget is going to be about 250 billion shillings more than the previous budget and one of the things that was being repeatedly said during the campaign was we can't afford debt we have to stop digging we have to contain debt so I was personally expecting that at least the spending would have remained the same I'm not a big fan of spending cuts because they have they come with social costs but I was expecting at least on the spending side to just put a cap on it and that's really even in America with their debt ceiling debates that's one of the proposals they've they said let's put a cap on spending for the next 10 years on non-defense spending and I think we should have taken that conversation so for me it was a surprise that you know we're talking about consolidation 
but what you're saying spending going up so it's it presents which means more boring so it 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 does present some sense of contradiction another story which was quite interesting and rather big is these international power producers and there were write ups around them now asking if they can get the opportunity to deliver directly to the customer and 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 and, and remove the the middle man is this a good idea on paper i think it's a fantastic idea we've on o- paper we've always talked about liberalizing uh the the power sector here and having options i mean if you look at where the telecoms used to be in the 90s when you had Kenya Post and telecommunications and where we are today you know the likes of safaricom have came off because of the liberalization of the telecom sector and you can see how much telco has boosted the Kenya economy in terms of mpesa um safaricom so if you can have a replication of that in the power sector by all means i mean you go to most of these big european countries you go to the united kingdom you have almost four five it's british gas or it's oxygen i mean you have so many companies so you set up you start competing on on customer service you start competing on uh pricing and the market becomes more competitive so for me the fact that we could do it in the 90s with the telco sector remember when you just had those big green cable things in the estate and you can imagine right now you can literally whatsapp somebody in america and have a chat so for me it's possible but definitely kenya power is you know it's such a complex i mean this is is an entity that's actually older than the republic of kenya so you can imagine years of politics and relationships and it's 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 that so that's what i'm saying on paper i think it would be good but i think the it the political headwinds uh just the fact that this is an entity that has been there nearly a century it won't be very easy to to achieve such a thing which then begs what's your position on parastatals you know parastatals present great contradiction um i've always said public institutions need to address what we call public goods and private institutions address public private goods when you have these mammoth of a parastatal it means part of the time it's looking for private uh profit and another time it's looking for a public good and often you find the policies are clash. not yeah they clash they clash because at some point if the government has a stake in this entity yet the same government is regulating that sector how can it be a good referee when you already have a stake so I've always said we need to have two either you in the public or in the private i think this parastatal it's 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 and it's very very unique to kenya you don't find it in many many um uh, countries it was presented as a form of a win-win situation but the reality you find it is you actually don't achieve either goals you don't operate to the maximum efficiency of a private sector but also you don't provide all the public goods so for me i think there needs to be and i know almost 10 years ago there was a task force that was put together to look into harmonizing and rationalizing some of these uh, parastatals and for me i think that is where maybe that conversation should have actually cuz they they put a report but i don't think that report has ever been acted upon 
Now, the biggest of the stories, which, you know, wasn't given that much attention because finance bill, but hey, you know, Ken, it's, of course, it's my wish or whomever is seated in the car in, the traf in traffic heading home or wherever they're heading to, to just easily dash and grab a $1 million paid at the GTC, you know, uh, put it in the balance sheet. But the gap between the wealthy and the poor has as we have now seen with this story is it has really widened income inequality has risen to 38.9 percent which is almost 39 percent and this is a report from the kenya bureau of statistics which suggests that the biggest inequality in fact was registered in nairobi and the least inequality was in Vihiga. in another two days on the 15th the national budget will be read which is a combination of these African countries. So I guess all countries will then have the chance to present their budget and what they're planning to do. The contentious finance bill hasn't yet been presented in the National Assembly. And chart is that there is a possibility that the readings for this will be done on Thursday morning and then the budget in the afternoon. But even beyond the finance bill and the housing fund, as an economist, what, what would be an alternative finance bill? Well, you know, Danny, you've combined two very important um, pieces of data. Number one is the inequality report that came out that said um, what is called the Gini coefficient. These are coefficients we look at in economics to measure how equal or unequal our society is. And it showed that Kenya went from uh, 35 in 2021 to 38 in 20, right now, 2023. Policymakers say when you start hitting 40, approaching 40, you start now having social unrest because there's that perception that, you know, far too many people are being uh, left behind. And I like how you, you juxtapose it with the reading of the budget because as the Minister of Finance, as he's putting together the budget, these are the statistics because these are statistics came from government, came from the Bureau of Statistics. So that should be playing out in his mind when you put the budget and it should tell him we need to look at sectors that can have broad-based prosperity. And we've talked about it here. You know, Professor Ryan mentioned it last week. Agriculture. Correct. That's the sector that contributes a quarter of our GDP. It's a sector that if it's boosted, it can lift so many people out of poverty. So I'd have expected this budget to be very ag-heavy, production-heavy, because that's what creates production, creates jobs, creates prosperity. But when you listen to the debates on finance bill, and there have been so many debates, you know, it's around the housing fund, it's around beauty on fuel. I've not had serious debate on agriculture, particularly right now, as we've said, we're marking 60 years since independence. And one of the big themes has been the decline of agriculture. That came out very clearly last week. So I would have expected really with this first budget for this administration to really return us to where we were meant to be. Really a country that used to export heavy on milk, heavy on beef, heavy on pyrethrum, heavy, we were, we, were, uh, we were an ag giant and we are less so nowadays. So I would have expected the budget to be very, but I've not had a lot of discussion. When people talk of finance bill, it's always something else, but not ag. And that is a big driver. So I think to answer your question, yes, the inequality is real and it varies from county to county. But obviously Nairobi and the big cities tend to have that. So it shows our economic model of growth. When you talk about 5% GDP, it tells us that 5% is not being spread 
um, equally and it means we need to look at our budget our fiscal policy to make sure that it's addressing the sectors that can really lift millions of Kenyans and those are the ags of this world and i tell you what because it's interesting you mentioned there is a time kenya was a net exporter of beef and we our agriculture was so good where Kenya would export f- f- over 4000 tons of beef to the international market and at the time right now the current largest producer of beef in the world was exporting around 1700 to the best if they could 2000 tons of beef right now as you speak brazil exports over a million tons of beef do you know how much kenya exports Would you like to know? <laughs> Please tell me. 500. 500 tons. That's what we do in 2023. So, would it then be good to have maybe discussions around a finance bill that looks at what is costing us money to hold and run as opposed to making a finance bill that's tax heavy? I'm so glad you brought that comparison between Kenya and Brazil. And I remember about 2 months ago I was watching one of these breakfast shows where they have a panel. And there was a fellow and I wish we could get that fellow one day on this show who talked about how there was a time not so distant in the past where a group of Kenyan the Kenyan delegation that went to Brazil um to really and I think they met I think President Lula and and such And I think the feedback they got at least from that discussion that I watched was we're not being serious, you know. Like we are not being serious. Like Kenya has the potential to do so much more. If you look at the agricultural um the climatic um benefits, if you look at the things that Brazil has been able to do, Kenya can be able to do it. So it was a fascinating thing and tells you that those kind of even from a policy perspective, those meetings have taken place that wisdom has been given but still you yeah. don't you don't feel it even when you talk about the agriculture budget in finance in the in the in the budget you know yes you can get this big number but the question is is that number only going to be spent in Nairobi in conferences and workshops or is it actually going to go to the farmer in Kitale in Moyale again those are big questions because lack of extension services has always come up as a theme even when allocation is increased is that lack of extension services so for me i think it, there is much to learn and we've apparently we've already done the learning it's more on the application and when i think of our agricultural universities i hear we have some we have some of the best professors so i think these it's more of an implementation and we have to ask ourselves what are the key drivers that block the implementation of the wisdom so like kenya is a top dairy producer india you know after the big uh drought that India had in the 80s they actually came to Kenya to study how Kenya does its dairy uh business today India is the largest producer of dairy in the world in fact there was a Kenyan delegation that went to learn from India yeah, to learn from India well it was an african delegation and there were some Kenyans and in that conference they actually said to the african delegates if you are from kenya you have nothing to learn from us <laughs> you know we learned it from you so i think the story of kenya is how do we 
learn from our heritage because we've had these things in the past. We talk about pyrethrum. Pyrethrum can used to be, I think, top five in traditions. Those, in pyrethrum, Australia came up and ran with it and stuff. So I think it's we've done it in the past. These are not things that they're not pie in the sky, sort of like ideals. These are things that have been done in the past and can be done, but it requires a bit of desire on the people who have the uh, opportunity to do it. But then as an economist, where is the where is the crossroads from what we were to what we are? Where did where did the paths meet and then we are now going to learn from people who learned from us? I, I think Professor Ryan last week talked about um, when we were at par with the Singapore's and the Koreas and they chose to go and export export-led strategy and we became more import substitution focused. I think had we gone the path of uh, building to sell, f- growing for us and for uh, the rest of the world, um, we would not be where we were. So it's possibly one of just it was a policy change. But also I think, unfortunately I think, you know, we talk about cartels all the time, but there are people who do benefit from the importation. There are people who get importation licenses and make quite a bit of money. Uh, and definitely the idea of local production becomes hostile to their importation because why would you import when you have local production? So I feel also there's also some elements of conflict of interest by what I'd call maybe the importation uh, groups. So I think it's it's multiple layers. Swiftly yeah. to the budget, 2023, it stood at 3.3 trillion and the tagline was nice. Sorry, 2022 to 2023, accelerating economic recovery for impl- improved livelihood. Most of that amount went to the recurrent expenditure. Benefactor ministries in the budget, we can say, were because 10.1 billion was pushed towards supporting manufacturing and job creation, 46.8 was to enhance food security and uh, for all Kenyans. 62.3 billion was towards universal health coverage and so on and so on. Now this year's budget will be presented with an estimated 3.6 trillion and a 700 billion deficit. Now before we even go to what we would want to look out for, how or what is a plan to recover this deficit? Because I am sure by the time then the supplementary budgets come in, then maybe it's easy that this budget can get to around four trillion. How are they, what's the plan on recovering the seven hundred billion? Well, when you talk about recovering the deficit or fixing the deficit, you always have to talk about the two areas, the revenue side and the expenditure. So the expenditure side is just more of rationalizing things. On the revenue side, it's identifying new sources of revenue and each come with their own challenges let's talk about the expenditure side when you want to do expenditure cutting obviously now it means you're pursuing austerity measures and that can have drastic um, impacts on the economy uh, because uh, you start limiting the circulation of, of money in the economy so it's never been the ideal way the other way could be really on on the revenue side where you look at what is the nature of your tax policy. First of all, do you have a tax policy and how does that tax policy, does it support production or does it 
uh, kill production. So those are the two conversations that you always have to have on the revenue side and the expenditure side. For me, I think the easiest way out of this is just to put a cap on spending. Because when you have a, put a cap on spending, it means your expenditures uh, remain flat and naturally your revenues over time um, go up. So what was essentially a deficit, maybe today, in about five years, becomes a surplus. And you've not had too many people because you've not made any budget cuts. And even in your revenue, you've not just burdened people with taxes. You've just allowed as a growing population uh, to be able to give the little they can give. So you've grown the revenue organically. I think what that does is you end up in a surplus very quickly and you start not ben- enjoying the benefits of a surplus. I've not seen that type of thinking. I think what you're seeing right now is, as you said, it's really uh, trying to... You've made some big, big moves such as like you've put a tax on VAT on fuel. Now that VAT on fuel, it's at 16%. It's going to increase the cost of living. It's going to reduce the pace of business and even the revenue to be collected uh, might be reduced. So I think there's still a bit more thinking and this is why we were hoping the Parliamentary Finance Committee, you know, when they went to Naivasha for the retreat, these are some of the things. But what I found interesting, I think it was from the chairman of the committee, was he said they're willing to consider all aspects except the fuel on VAT. So it tells you that this is possibly not even from the government. This is probably one of those IMF things that they can't even begin to, 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 to discuss. Are they likely to then fix the deficit of the 700 billion? Patrick Njoroge has said the way it looks in the market out there, you're very unlikely to raise this amount. Not the 700, the 500 billion. The 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 population is in distress. So, what would be a possible remedy to fixing this 700 billion deficit that is supposed to now be able to 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 boost this this budget? I think if you take Dr. Njoroge's comments seriously, you'll understand that the domestic capacity is limited. And if you can't borrow domestically, it means the only other option is through externally. I wanted you to say that because uh, then clearly we are going to get into debt again. Right, because it depends on now on the global financing conditions. Because, yes, I've talked about the Fed uh, putting a pause on the rate hikes. But if inflation starts getting out of hand, the Fed will definitely start raising interest rates so now you start uh you start going into a market of very high interest rates so your local borrowing capacity has been constrained and globally the finance financing conditions are very tight so you end up between a rock and a hard place and it becomes very very it can be a significant challenge indeed the alternative becoming then a substitution of how you distribute the, so so the <laughs> the supplementary budgets come in to redistribute the resources that are available to be able to fit into other things. Yes, you can have your supplementary budgets that come up to to because sometimes you can have uh, a crisis of sorts or you have urgent needs, but that can lead you now into what we call, and I'm introducing a new term here, fiscal dominance. Fiscal dominance is that situation where government borrowing is so big that it complicates monetary policy. 
So as you have a new CBK governor coming in and he has his plans around what you want to do around interest rates, you have a fiscal side that is becoming so bloated that even him, he can't concentrate on monetary policy. He has to now keep in mind, and that's probably the phrase of the day, fiscal dominance <laughs> for anybody who wants to sort of like is thinking about it from an, a macro perspective. And there is uh, always that risk of a fiscal dominance when the deficits are always growing. What kind of budget are we expecting? Is it a citizen-friendly budget? Ni budget ya mwananchi, ya hustler? Or is it a budget that is going to penalize the wealthy? Or is it a budget that's going to be for corporates? Or I don't know, what kind of budget are we, are we looking to, to get? For me, that's a very powerful question, Danny, and I think it brings us down to a very fundamental point which is never really articulated and possibly we need to exploit more. You know what I call the, the two views of Kenya? They are what I call the two perspectives, the two divergent views of Kenya, and sometimes these views are always at odds. There's the first view of Kenya as, you know, the sovereign country that borrows from markets and needs to always have good credit ratings so that investors, these are bondholders, are always encouraged to, to be in. able to come in. So it's a very outward looking. It's looking at, you know, that bond trader in London, the bond trader in New York, the bond trader who's trying to get a slice of African credit. So it's a very external look. And I've, I believe much of our fiscal policy is around that view. Then there's the second perspective, which is the Kenya for Kenyans. You know, the farmer, the dairy farmer, the mamamboga. And these are people who want to, to they think about the healthcare, they're thinking about their education, they want to grow food, they want to Basically, the Kenya you interact with on a day-by-day basis. And for them, their priority is good allocation of healthcare, enough hospitals, enough schools, enough food being grown. My fear is the first view, which is Kenya as an... Ex- Kenyans a, for Europeans. Exactly. <laughs> it, it dominates so much more. In fact, the biggest question you get today is... Is Kenya going to default on the euro bond? I mean, who holds the euro bond? It's mostly your international community. And I feel, obviously, you always have to balance the needs, but I feel sometimes we are skewed so much. And I think the reason it becomes even more important is when you start listening to people like uh, now Jimmy Wanchigi and what he said in his past interview about some of our debt, some of the money we borrow, is that's not going into into paying debt and that, uh, that's a question that we get quite a bit sometimes and i always say you have two types of debt you have external debt and you have domestic debt i feel with this a lot more discipline with the external debt uh, in terms of calculating it in terms of repayments i mean when you, when you talk about kenya has never defaulted on its debt it's always that external, external debt. debt but i feel we lack the rigor we draw the line on domestic on debt. Domestic debt really. Because if you, yeah, if you think about late payments to suppliers, 
that 500 billion that's debt that's debt if you think about pensions that have not been paid to pensioners that's debt that's debt if you think about NHF being led to hospitals that's debt that's debt if you think about court awards if you win a, a court case against the government and the government has to pay you that's debt but tax it's refunds exactly but that's tax refunds but that's never really treated with the rigor of sorts so when you talk about 9 trillion debt you know this is normally the bonds and the bills but if somebody actually said let's accumulate all the court cases that have never been paid all the pensioners who have been still paid waiting. who are still waiting i mean it could it easily go to 15 trillion so do we have do we focus more on on the external market because there doesn't seem to be a plan on how to make Kenyans more involved with their economy. Because if you're going to have a budget that looks more outwardly for 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 foreign for foreigners to come and invest even in our stock exchange for instance is because then I mean, you need money to do the purchases. So the local, the domestic, the Monanchi doesn't have the money to even say, I'm going to put some of this in the NSC. There hasn't been a plan formulated in how we can put money in people's pockets so that then that surplus, whatever you want to call it, is then redirected to that kind of an avenue. And we now start having an NSC where even when there is capital flight, it's still kind of holding steady unless, you know, it's an Armageddon. You're absolutely right. There has never been a clear policy because the typical Kenyan, the average Kenyan on the street who uh, falls upon a lump sum, what's the first thing they'll want to buy? Food. I mean, in terms of investments. Somebody a house. Well, probably land. Land. Right. So first, we have this historical uh, attachment. attachment towards love and prof talked about it um last week too where to be buried exactly so you have that so that becomes the investment destination so even if you have these wealthy guys who are always playing in these golf clubs around Nairobi, <laughs> for them and they have great degrees in economics and law and medicine uh but anytime they get a lump sum it's by land a piece of land so we've never looked at that model in terms of what it really means but you find the foreign investors who are coming here, in their countries, they pay quite high taxes on their land. So it's not as attractive as it is here, and that's why you have to get money. So because in Kenya, the opportunity cost of holding that has been quite low, money goes into there. And I think once we have policies that sort of moderate that, that's when you'll find all that money now finally going to the capital markets. But until there's that clear framework, definitely uh, that is sort of going towards there. A highlight I picked from the Capital FM website is the two point f- from the six point three point six trillion that will be read on Thursday, two point five trillion will go back to recurrent expenses. So then what's left for Kenyans with everything that we need to share is only one point one trillion. So 1.1 trillion needs to go to education. 1.1 trillion needs to go to health. 1.1 trillion needs to go to name it, defense, whatever. 
2.25 trillion with devolved units apportioned 385 billion so we've already is it is it a conversation that that should is it a worrying conversation that we should be having in terms of yes you've said we can have a cap but in terms of the expenses how our budget is drawn up and how the money that is collected is apportioned within the budget i mean a lot of it is going to just maybe the parastatals that you <laughs> is it a worrying conversation we should we be having a 2.25 trillion that goes to recurrent expenditure from a 3.6 trillion budget personally for me i don't think it's a crisis i mean i do know that there are economists who uh, make that very strict distinction between recurrent and development but if you really think about it both of them still advance a society you still need to have your teachers and your doctors yes let's talk about a school for example you need to have salaries for your teachers and for the principals but you also need to be building more schools so some economists feel there is that difference between the teacher and the salary and the building new schools personally for me it's never really been a major source of concern because what's the teacher doing as you pay the salary they are building the next group of cohorts of teachers of teachers of students who will be future doctors future engineers um future presenters at capital fm hopefully so that's still development so for me that's very uh, rigorous distinction personally i find it a bit blood um so and that's what sort of has led to that debate um but for me this is money that is going into the real economy for me that's what's important whether it's going towards a salary or it's going towards a construction it will circulate when you pay the teacher the salary the teacher will go to the supermarket and buy items when you pay the money to buy a build a school the money will go to a contractor who will go and buy cement and stuff so and money still workers. circulates so for me i've never been super obsessed with that distinction obviously you don't want to have a, such a great contrast between the two but for me i don't think it's something that um should give us sleepless nights because at the end of the day that's uh, money circulating within the economy for me what concerns me is money that is leaving the country especially external debt so money that we are extracting from kenya is going abroad is building um houses and mansions and wealth abroad for me i think that should be the big discussion of 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 the day and when you talk about who are the winners in this budget i really feel it's you know it's the it's the the bondholders who you know this one of the bonds i think it's on business daily today they're talking about it i think it's going to be floated and they're looking at almost a 15% on that bond so if you can get 15% risk free for me i think those are the winners but i don't consider that true investment in as much as we say okay these are investment options uh bonds and stuff but i don't they don't create jobs they don't enhance money circulation so i think for me that is the biggest concern that this budget is speaking more towards the bondholders and not so much around the the reality of the everyday kenyan now let's look at the crystal ball and you've effectively uh alluded to my next question 
within this range of 3.6 trillion who do we expect is going to be the beneficiary the 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 most loved child <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to 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 giving out this property this 6.3.6 trillion property what what ministry first of all do you even think is going to come out top i mean obviously education always has uh the lion's share of it and which is a good thing because we've said many times that human capital is the foundation of the Kenyan economy we don't have the golds and the oils that other african countries have so it's rightly so that our human capital is where we are putting up our best bets into creating the next leaders so i think that's for me always a winner and i think that's i think is kenya's game changer competitive advantage i think in terms of the losers i'd say people who are keen on production you know a manufacturer who will be looking at energy prices somebody who's in uh, transport looking at how fuel prices going from 8% VAT to 16 will affect him so people who are in production um I empathize with them I feel they might be on the losing side of this and they're likely to then pass that heavy burden to us absolutely which makes it maybe a little bit light for them Well it doesn't because when it you pass it to the consumer remember the consumer is operating from a very limited budget constraint he has a fixed salary you've deducted so many things from him you have totally done if you earn 50000 shillings you take home 29 so you're trying to deal with that 29 if somebody tries to add costs on you definitely you look I, for an alternative yeah use the substitution effect kicks in so it which means you sell less as a as a producer, producer and it means you probably even have to lay off people because you're not producing the market is not demanding as much as it used to which means now you have to lay some of your people because you have a lot of capacity and that can lead to unemployment which other ministry is likely to be a golden child in this budget beyond besides education Uh, well, I saw there was uh, well not some not some ministry but I I saw there was some commitment uh from the national government towards the counties. I believe it was by the deputy president and he said moving forward there'll be very prompt payments because I all, I said devolution is what will save this country. You know that Gini coefficient you talked about that huge concentration of wealth in Nairobi can be cured. when you have 47 counties with 47 middle classes i'd love to go to embu and find a, a, a very strong middle class nice restaurants nice you know schools so i think for me if uh, the deputy president and i assume with the group of governors if they can actually keep that commitment and make sure money is flowing to these counties then now you start having predictability and business people love predictability because one of the reasons people don't like doing work with the county governments is because they believe they might never be paid because the counties never received from the national government so if they if they can maintain that i think devolution can be such a big uh beneficiary and can be almost like the golden child out of this it's interesting you bring up embu because around 2000 and i think 10 11 12 it was the richest county in kenya per capita income and the characteristics are 
apportioned towards the Embu people was it is the most silent money you've ever seen. A guy would pass you and you wouldn't think they have a cent, but they are loaded. So from household to household, it was the richest county in the republic. And then of course, it was plundered. <laughs> but is there, what's, what's the best way then of reducing the, the gap between the very wealthy and the poor because it's widening and I don't really think that the tax element within the finance bill you know the now politicians are acting like you know uh, they've made it really good for us by saying the housing fund has been reduced to 1.5 percent what's the best way of just now making sure that we are providing more equity or let's say equality to to everybody you know, regardless of your status of wealth, we're not saying that we're taking from the wealth and giving it to the poor, but just making it, making it, you know, livable. What's the best way of then being able to achieve that? I'm so glad that you built on that Embu example, and I think it's a fantastic um, example you've given. And I remember meeting somebody, a lady who, from Embu, who told me that when she was growing up in the 70s uh, in high school, and that time coffee was doing very well, her father was a coffee farmer in Embu. And when she went to high school, one of the schools there, all she had to uh, quote to the high school is the father's coffee number ID. All you had to quote it. Once you quote it, they told, go to class, we'll sort it out. Because what would happen is when the coffee and the father has delivered the coffee, uh, the government settled the money and it sent straight to the schools and school fees were sorted. So there's no issue of farmers in restraint. So the models have been there. That thinking has been there. And that's, we're talking about the 80s, you know. So how much more should we be right now? So I think back to your question on what model should we pursue? We've talked about devolution and the 47 counties, but I've always said at the county level, the second most important person, maybe after the governor and the senator, should be the CEC for agriculture. Because agriculture in most of these counties has the opportunity to lift a lot of people. So whether it's coffee, whether it's um, avocado, the CECs of agriculture, and many of them are not known. They need to be the key people because they have the food strategy. You know, when you go to Kiambu today, it's hard to know where the food growing zones are because it's because it's all malls. It's, become a, concrete it's a concrete jungle. So these are the things the CEC of agriculture should be, they should be the, really the most focused people in the counties because if they get their strategy right and have a county food strategy and make sure they have county reserves, the issue of national hunger will go, will away. go away. Yeah, because any county that has a surplus will easily sort out. The national government can come from pick from counties with surplus and distribute it. So I think that has to be the direction moving forward. So a county is serious with devolution. They're getting a lot of money from the national exchequer, but they are they are they serious with this whole affair? I'm not entirely convinced. I've not seen counties really. You know, all the time you re read the papers, you find counties are doing hundred percent waivers on land rates, hundred percent waivers on land. And I, I keep saying that's the one arm the constitution has allowed you to be able to raise revenue. 
yet you're always giving waivers sometimes they're tied to politics you know so you're, you're waiving your constitutional right to your income is yet you're the person always in Nairobi begging that the national government gives you its money so they even they need to be able to make sure that they are responsibly handling their money I'll tell you a kind of finance bill I'd like to see a finance bill that actually articulates the fact that any county that does not seem to be serious with devolution misappropriates mismanages money then it is red listed and then finally in the next financial year it's going to be degazetted and you're all amalgamated into a county that seems to be very serious with what they're doing because i don't know has there any county uh, is there any county that has come to your attention as a county um there's a model county in terms of of how they've carried or developed themselves since 2010 unfortunately Danny, i can't say there's one county that has caught my attention in in a transformational way obviously there have been um nice nuggets here and there but i've not seen a transformational county that its people its leadership have sat down its professionals and have decided we want to be the model i don't think that which which is an opportunity any of the governors who are still fresh in office this is an opportunity you've learned from 10 years of the previous administration but not just governors i think when you think of counties we all talk of governors and senators always ask where are the business professionals from these counties are they having meetings as professionals from embu for example or from kitale because the professionals many of them are in Nairobi, have the skills have the exposure and can be able to push some of these ideas so uh, we are still it's still it's still something that we are waiting to see can thank you very much for a wonderful edition of today's financial forecast you can catch up with this and other episodes from previous shows of the financial forecast on capital fm soundcloud or anywhere else you get your podcast from from myself danny and mr ken till next tuesday thank you very much Capital F